three weeks that we'll be working through this, they really build on each other. This is really a foundational uh, portion of the letter that John is writing right here for where he goes for the next several paragraphs and the next several thoughts that he has. And it's this idea of a unifying love. We're united in our love. And I, I think about cycling. You guys know I've used examples of my cycling in the past. Some of you are also cyclists that are here. And you think about cycling, there's guys come from all over, uh, different walks of life, different ages, different uh, points in their family life, different careers. We're all coming together because something unites us. It's our love for cycling. Our love for cycling is what unites us, even though we're so different in so many different ways. Some of the guys that I ride with will do upwards of 10,000 miles on their bike this year. That's a lot of miles. I'm not even close to that same kind of category of loving cycling. But I do love to ride. I love to ride. That unites us. Even though we come from very different walks of life, different careers, I'm probably the only pastor that's out there most weeks riding. My dad will ride with us sometimes in the same group, so then there's at least two of us that are pastors. But different walks of life, cycling, the love for cycling, unites us. When we come to this church, to a body of believers, what is it that unites us? Well, it's our love for God. It's our love for the Father. And then how we live that out. We're united in that love. We're commanded to, as believers, to love the Father. We do so because we love Him. We obey Him. And we've seen an example of what that love looks like in Jesus. So we've seen a perfect example, a new example of what loving God looks like in Jesus. And then we have a command that we need to do the same. Just as we've seen Jesus do, we need to do the same. So let's dive into 1 John 2. We're going to look at 7 through 11 this morning. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes." First, we've been given a command. We've heard it. We've heard the command that God has given us. Let's read verse 7 again. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. It's an old commandment. It's something that they have heard before. But he's writing to these people, and he calls them beloved. These people are special to him. John's writing to the local churches, this is a letter, but it would have been spread around to the local churches in the, in the area. He's writing this letter. This is, these people are special to him. They matter. This isn't just some phrase he's saying. He's not just saying beloved, and it's just something he writes. He means this. It's not like the lady at the diner who's like, what you can have for breakfast, dear? So that's not the same kind of term. That's different. This is heartfelt. It's real. These people matter to him. He's not even met many of these people, but they're part of God's church. They're special to him. He loves them in a way that transcends just the kind of love we have. You know, I talk about loving coffee. It's a different kind of love entirely. 
He loves these people. They're special to him. He says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. So what's this old commandment? What's he referring to? He's talking about Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and, and uh, Leviticus 19, 18. We're going to take a look at those. Deuteronomy 6 is an awesome chapter of the Bible. There's your homework for you for this week. Deuteronomy chapter 6, awesome chapter. Whether you're reading it for your own benefit or it's to encourage you then because there are others that you're going to then lead for their walk in the Lord too and growing up in Him. But let's look at 4 and verse 5 in Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the key foundational command of God's law. Everything else builds off of this. Everything builds off of this. This is the foundational command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. You love God with all of you. No exclusions. No little parts that you hold on to over here and say, I love God with all of me except this area. You love God with every aspect of your being. All of you is bound up in loving God. That's the foundation of everything else that God says in his law. If we love God first and we love him most, then we're able to walk as he walked. Then we're able to live as he lived because that's our foundation. That's where we start. Then Jesus, when he was asked what was the greatest commandment, that's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus even makes it more intense, as he always does. He adds that other level to it that is even more so than what they had heard before to emphasize the importance of it. He says the second is like unto it, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's found there in Leviticus 19.18. This is the foundation of God's law. All the law and prophets are summed up in these two. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These commands were given to the people of Israel. This helped them stand out from the rest of the world around them because they loved God first. They loved him most. They loved him exclusively. They were to stand out from everybody else because of their love for God and God only. They weren't uh, uh, people that had multiple gods, or they shouldn't have been. They were a people that had one God. They worshiped Him alone. And because they worshiped one God and Him alone, they were able to love those around them properly because their heart was in the right place, loving God first and loving Him most. And it was this love that not only made them stand out from the world around them, but it unified them. It unified them. They were unified in their love for God, and it was their love for God that was the pinnacle of the unity that they had. There were a lot of other things that united them. They were united as a people. They were united in culture. They were united by marriage, by blood. They were all part of the same Jewish family, but this was the pinnacle. This was the top. It was their love for God and Him alone that unified them. They were to be characterized by that love. Love him first and love him most. But love is a polarizing word. 
Love is a strong word. If you love something, you love something at the expense of something else. You love God, so therefore you hate the things that God hates. You love God, therefore you prioritize Him and everything uh, that would draw you closer to Him and hate everything that would draw you away from Him. Love is strong, but we don't always use that word as it's intended. Usually it's, it's used in a flippant way or a way that's not truly uh, true to the meaning of the word. Wearsby says this, it's really difficult to understand how a man can use the same word to express his love for his wife as he uses to tell how he feels about baked beans. <laughs> when words are used that carelessly, they really mean little or nothing at all. Like the dollar, they've been devalued. Love is a strong word. It's a polarizing word. We need to not be flippant about how we use that word love, especially in relation to God, but to everyone else as well. It's an important word, and it's not just an option for us. This was a command. God gave this as a command to his people. They are to love him first and love him most and love him exclusively. Why? Doesn't God want them to have any fun? Doesn't God want them to go out there and experience the other things that are around them? And sometimes we feel that way about commands. We think, God, don't you want me to enjoy life? Don't you want me to enjoy things? And the answer is no. He doesn't want you to enjoy anything that's outside of himself and outside of his provision for you. He doesn't want you to experience those things because he is good, he is right, he is just, he is holy, and he knows what is good and right and just for us. We don't need to experience those things outside of him. So it's a command. It's not an option for us. It was not an option for the people of Israel. This was a command that he had given us, and sometimes those commands feel rigid, but it's given out of the very character and nature of who God is. And we're going to see in 1 John 4, 8, when we come to that in this letter, it says God is love. The commands that he's given us are given out of the very character of who he is. He can't give us a bad command. Therefore, this is a good and right command. This is good for us. This was a command that should have been totally, completely unifying for the people of Israel. And we see them unified as they obey this command to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbor as themselves. When they obey that, when they do love God first and love Him most, they're unified. But what happens when they don't love God first and love Him most? You look through the history of Israel, and they start to fall apart. They're divided as a people. You see two kingdoms then. When they stop loving God first and loving Him most, they stop loving their neighbor as themselves, and then they're a divided people. You see God then discipline them, and that carries through to its conclusion, and you see them then taken away into bondage, into slavery. God still loves his people, but you see the division that was created when they ceased to obey the command that God gave them. This love for God unifies them. It draws them together. But we have to be oh so careful as a church, as individuals, to check our hearts to come back and say, Lord, is there something that is coming in between you and me? Am I loving other things more than I'm loving you? Am I being drawn away 
to another love and not staying wholly committed to you, loving you first and loving you most. We have to be very careful to check our hearts, to check ourselves, to make sure that we're not wandering away to let other things take the place of where God should be. This is the message that they'd heard. They'd known this. This has been around for a long, long time. But sometimes it's those messages that we've heard, that we've known, that should be most familiar to us, that sometimes are the hardest to follow through then and obey. So not only did they have this command that they had heard, but they also had then a perfect example in Jesus. They'd seen it. So they'd heard it. They'd heard the commandment. Now they've seen it. Verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Practice makes perfect is a phrase that you've probably heard many, 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 many times. Um, Heard that lots of times growing up. And whether it was applied to learning the piano or learning to play soccer or whatever it was, that's what we heard. You got to practice, 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 practice. That's mostly true, but not quite true, because you can practice something over and over and over and over again, but if you're looking at the wrong thing and you have the wrong pattern to follow, you're going to be very proficient at what you just practiced, but it might not be right. So I had then heard as I was growing up, perfect practice makes perfect. You want to practice the right way the right time, uh, uh, the first time so that you're practicing the right thing the whole way through. If I'm learning to play the piano but doing it wrong, then I'm going to mess myself up from being able to learn further. I need to learn the right way at the very beginning. So perfect practice makes perfect. Well, we have a perfect example in Jesus Christ of what this love looks like. We don't have to guess at it. We don't have to take our best shot at it. We have a perfect example that was given to us in Jesus. So the verse says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So the hymn, of course, being Jesus. So the Greek has two understandings of the word new. It can be either new in time or new in quality. And this command is new in quality. So it's new in quality. And Wearsby points out that it's new in its emphasis and it's new in its example. New in its emphasis and new in its example. So how did Jesus love? How did Jesus love people? He did so selflessly as an outpouring of his love for God the Father. He loved God the Father. So he obeyed what God the Father told him to do. He loved people selflessly and perfectly, not out of compulsion, not out of just obedience to the law only. That's what the religious leaders of the day were doing. They were obeying because here's the command. It says, thou shalt do, so therefore I must. That's not why Jesus was obeying. The command was there, but he loved God the Father. So he delighted to do his law, to do his will. Here's what it says in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. He delighted to obey the will of God because he loved the Father. Now, this is what God had always intended for his law, is that we obey the commands that are given because we love the Father. But that's not what the people would have been seeing in the religious leaders of the day and within this early church. They needed a new emphasis. Jesus showed them that new emphasis. The command is there, but you're obeying that command because you have a love for the Father. 
Jesus loved the Father perfectly. Therefore, he could love perfectly those that were around him. He set that perfect example for us in showing us this correct emphasis. It was there from the beginning. Ever since God gave the command, the emphasis was to be there. But as with most things, we, we end up twisting things. We end up misshaping them. And this good command that God gave his people Israel, that he gives to us, too often what happens with things like this is that we take that and it's no longer than us trying to reflect the character and nature of God. Often what we do with it is we make it a measuring stick against those that are around us. We take the command to love God first and love most, and what we can end up doing is saying, I love God so much better than that person. I am so glad I've moved past that point, and I don't do that anymore because I love God so much greater than that. That's us trying to act out this command to love, but in our own strength. Anytime we try to act out this command to love God first and love Him most in our own strength, it's only going to lead where the religious leaders of the day took it, which was a self-righteousness and condemnation. It's comparing ourselves against others rather than keeping our focus on the character and nature of God and loving Him first and loving Him most. When we try to do this on our own, we're going to fall short. But we don't have to do this on our own because we have God the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have God's Spirit working in us, the life of Jesus reshaping us and moving us so that we might reflect Him in a greater and greater way. We can love with a right emphasis as we abide in Him, as His life flows in us and through us, and we don't go in our own strength. We don't try to accomplish this according to my own ability, but we let the life of Christ dwell in us richly. We let the life of Christ shape us and mold us and abide in Him so that we might bear fruit. Jesus showed us a different emphasis for this command, a right emphasis for this command. And he also showed us a better example, a right example, the perfect example of how to live out this command to love God first and love him most. He did it different than what the people of the day would have expected from somebody like Jesus. Because Jesus hung out with the nobodies. He hung out with the outcast, the sinners, the lepers, the ones that everybody, all the good people had kind of pushed to the side, kicked to the curb. That's who Jesus spent time with. That's who Jesus went to find. He went to find the sick, not the well, he said. He went to find those people that the rest of the world had kicked out. And too, too quickly, we can become like the crowds that as Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're saying, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Nobody wants to hear you. Or like the people who brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, they're bringing her to him just to see how bad the judgment is going to be. And yet Jesus loved those people. He loved that woman. He loved Bartimaeus. He gave Bartimaeus sight. He forgave that woman. He brought uh, sight to the blind. He brought life to those who had died. We think about Lazarus. He loved in a different way, enough that he touched lepers. He brought little children up in his arms. He cared for widows and orphans. He loved differently. He loved enough to heal their diseases and their needs, but then also to say, go and sin no more. He loved differently. He set a different example from anything that those people had seen. And I think the greatest example 
of this different kind of love can be seen in John 13, or one of the greatest examples of this kind of love and the example he set for us is John 13. And that's where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And Pastor Mark had preached through this not that long ago, so it's fairly fresh in our minds. Here they come to that Last Supper, and they come into the house. Nobody washes their feet. And it would have been customary that the lowest of low servants, that when they entered the home, that servant would then come and wash the feet of everyone who was coming to dinner. Because it was the custom then, you're going to sit down to eat, but you're not at a table, you're reclining at a table. Little low table, you're reclining. So your feet are in the face of the people that are beside you. So that's disgusting. If you have been walking all day long down dusty roads, lots of animals walking on those roads, so there's animal droppings. Who knows what you're walking through? It's disgusting. So you wash the feet when you come in the home, and it's the lowest of low. Never the master. Always the lowest of low is washing the feet. And here's Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And not only is he washing the feet of the super apostles like James and John, but he's washing the feet of Peter, stumbling, bumbling Peter, and Judas, who's literally about to go sell him for 30 pieces of silver to the religious leaders. He's washing Judas's feet. And then here's what he says in John 13, 12 through 15. He says, when he, or God's word says, when he had washed their feet, And put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. That's radical love. That is so different from anything they had ever seen before. Never had a master stooped to wash the feet of his followers. Jesus set them a radically different example of love. And he can do this and set this example because his love was based in his obedience, his love for the Father and his obedience was based in his love for the Father. So then he was able to love those around him perfectly, to love them rightly. He loved people and certainly not just the ones who deserved it. Think about Judas. He's literally about to go sell him. And yet Jesus is loving him just the same as everybody else that was there. Why is he able to do this? Because he loves the Father first. And the, and the verse says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is the gospel. The darkness is passing away. What's Jesus about to go do? Jesus is about to go to the cross to take the punishment for our sin. He's about to go take the punishment for you and me, so that we might be transferred, when we've trusted in him, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The darkness is passing away. Sin can't stand up against the gospel. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the gospel. Can't hide that light. The darkness of sin, the darkness of this world, it can't stand up against the presence of the gospel. We're to shine that light. Let that flow through us, that people might see him. They might see Jesus in us. We're to make it known through what we say and through what we do. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also 
are to love one another. By this will all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're unified then in the love of God. As a body of believers, we are unified in his love. And then we're to live out the example that he set for us within the body of believers. That's the setting that Jesus gave us there in John 13. He's with his disciples, his followers. He says, you're to do just as I have done. He set that example for us. They're to serve one another. We're to serve each other in the same way. Just as Jesus loved us, we're to love each other as part of this church. We're to wash one another's feet to care for one another, to love one another. And that can look like a million little things of washing the feet of those that are around us, caring for those that are a part of this body, loving those that are a part of this body. It can also look like some very big things. But we're to love one another. We're to wash one another's feet and care for each other. That's not always going to be easy. That's not always going to be welcome. There's going to be times when you're going to try to love one another and care for each other. And as you wash people's feet, it's exceptionally dirty and stinky and not always welcome, not always thanked. But the command still remains to love as Jesus loved, to follow the perfect example that he gave us, even when it is difficult, even when it is a smelly job, even when it is a hard job. We're to love just as he loved. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The only way we can do this is if we continue to abide in him. John 15 is that idea, the, uh, the abiding in the vine. As a branch can't bear any fruit unless it's abiding in the vine, we can't bear any fruit unless we're abiding in Jesus. We have to stay in him. We have to remain in him. Let his words dwell in us richly. Let his life flow through us. And then we will bear fruit fruit of the Spirit, the first one is love. People are going to see that love in us. The outpouring of the love for the Father and the life of Christ flowing through us will then pour out into the lives of those around us. When our heart is set right on Him, our focus is set right on loving God the Father, letting the life of Christ flow through us and loving just as He loved. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. We have a command. We have that perfect command that God gave us We have the perfect example in Jesus, the fresh emphasis on loving God, the perfect example of loving him. Now we just need to do it. We've heard it. We've seen it. Now we need to do it. 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him, there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I grew up singing the old hymns in church, one of which was the old hymn, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. How many of you remember that old hymn? Some of you remember that old hymn. You also remember that when that hymn was sung, um, inevitably somebody started it way too low and you started singing that and it sounded like the saddest monk singing the saddest dirge you ever heard and we're supposed to be singing about the unity that, and love that we have in Christ. Really, really good song but it was often really hard to sing as a kid because it was so, so low. Second verse says, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, we will walk with each other, we'll walk hand in hand and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land 
and they'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I often felt like you're about to like burst into tears at the end of that song because it was so low and slow. But the meaning was so good. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Well, will they? If we look at our Facebook posts and we look at our tweets on Twitter and our conversations, is that what people will draw from us? Is that what's heard? They'll know we're Christians by our love. Or are they getting a very different message when they see what we post on social media, what they hear us saying amongst ourselves or to others? I hope that, they're no, that, that they know that we're Christians by our love. We're supposed to be walking in the light just as he is in the light. Can't say you walk in the light in the truth of God's word and the gospel and hate your brother at the same time. Because here's what's happening. Here we have, let's call him just generic Christian, is saying, yep, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the Lord. I walk in the light as he is in the light. I'm part of this body of believers. I'm part of the family of God. And yet they're also hating their brother, this person who's also a part of that same church, another believer, saying, I love God. I love him first. I love him most. But then there's this hatred even if it's internal, this hatred for this person over here. God's word says that can't happen. That should not happen. We've already seen in chapter 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's just the reality of it. You can't have light and darkness in the same place. You cannot say you have fellowship with him while you walk in darkness. You cannot say, I love God first and love him most, and yet hate your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. Can't happen. They can't be happening at the same time. Chapter 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Can't say we know him. Can't say we love him, and then not obey his commands. His command is to love one another as I have loved you. To love God first and to love him most. He's writing this to the beloved, to these people that are dear to him. But they ought to feel the same way about each other, too. They ought to love one another. They ought to be caring for each other. There is no place in the church, in Christianity, as believers, for hatred to be present within us. There's no room for that. There's no room for hate in this love, except for the hatred of sin. You can hate sin, but there's no room for hate. Because when we're hating a brother, we're letting sin remain in us, whatever that sin is. We're letting sin remain in us. We're causing others to stumble. We're causing ourselves to stumble, and we're going to cause others to stumble as well. Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. When you have your heart in the right place, when you're loving God first and you're loving him most, then you can love your neighbor as yourself. You can love your brother or sister in Christ. That's exactly why Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. You love him first, you love him most, and if you've got your heart in the right place of seeking to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the rest will fit together. Will you do it perfectly? Of course you won't do it perfectly every single time. 
That's where the grace of God comes along, His grace and His mercy as we walk this Christian life. But if your heart is to love God first and to love Him most, then you're going to love the people around you. You're going to love your brother and sister in Christ. Uh, We looked last time we were in this book at uh, chapter 2, 5, and 6, which says, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We need to love like Jesus did. If we say we abide in him, we need to live the way that he lived. We need to walk the way that he walked. If this is our goal of our, if this is the goal of our hearts and the aim of our hands, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're going to act out of pure motives to love one another well. Again, we won't always do that perfectly. We won't always do that exactly right. But that's our heart, that's our goal, that's our aim. But if there's hatred or sin that you're harboring in your heart, you might put on a good face. You might play a good game and fool the people around you. I can't see your heart. Only God can see your heart. But eventually it's going to be seen for what it is. Light and darkness can't be together. You can't say, I love God first and love him most and hate your brother. You're going to cause yourself to stumble. And you're going to cause others to stumble as well. You're going to cause others to stumble as well. It says, whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You might have fooled other people, but God sees your heart. And in you walking in sin, walking in darkness, you're blinded. And your blinded walking is causing yourself to stumble and those that are around you. If you look in Proverbs chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, the writer is saying, here's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And the very last one that he says is one who sows discord among brothers, disunity. That's an abomination to God because that is the exact opposite of the character and nature of who God is because God is love. It's a total opposite of who God is. We're to love like God loves. We're to walk as he walked. It is so, so important then as believers that we examine ourselves, that we check our hearts. We go back daily, constantly to the Lord saying, am I loving you first? Am I loving you most? Or am I letting something come between my love for you? Am I holding something against another believer? That's what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as Paul is writing to that Corinthian church, where he says, when you're coming to the Lord's table, examine yourselves, check your heart, because he gives very strong warnings against coming to the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Check your heart. Check your heart and see, am I not loving the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is that then overflowing into not loving my neighbor, my brother and sister in Christ as I ought to? Examine yourselves. Check your heart to make sure that you're not wandering away from the Lord. We need to walk just as he walked. Because when we don't walk as he walked, and we continue to walk in a lie saying, I love God first and most, and then not following that through and loving my brother or sister in Christ, causing ourselves to stumble or causing others to stumble. 
One of the most sobering things that I think Jesus said was, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. It's how we love one another. So then that begs the question of, is that what people are seeing in me? Is that what God is seeing and others are seeing in you in the way that you love? Are they seeing Jesus in you? Do they see that you are his disciple in the way that you love others? Or are they seeing something very different rather than something that would draw them to Christ, rather than something that would show you love God and you love others? Are they seeing the opposite of love? By this will all men know that you are my disciples. I grew up in a part of Pennsylvania that was part of, really it felt like it was part of the Bible Belt, that part of the country that was still governed in a large way by Christian values and traditions. And a lot of people were at church on Sunday. Whether they were really believers or not, that's still just part of what you did. You went to church. But it was then a really big tradition too. We always did it anyways when we'd go visit family. You went out for lunch afterwards. So you're trying to beat the church next door to whatever restaurant's the most popular in the area. So if they finish at noon, you finish at like 11.50 or something like that. So you can get there first. But it was well known in that, at least where we were, and I'm sure it's the same in other places, and I'm sure it's the same kind of, you know, you go out to lunch after church kind of culture in other places, that people hated to work on Sundays in those restaurants because all the Christians would show up on Sundays. And often you would hear the stories about how the Christians were the most difficult to work with, the most difficult to serve, the rudest people in the restaurant. That shouldn't be. It should not be that way, that that's what people are seeing in us. They ought to know we are Christians by our love. But what are they actually seeing in us? If that's what was seen in public in the restaurant, imagine what was happening behind closed doors in the church or in homes. We have to check our own hearts. We have to check ourselves. This is a command that God has given us. It's not an option for us. We're to be united in our love for God, unified together because we love him first and we love him most above everything else. That ought to unite us to then to be able to love like Jesus did, to have a right emphasis for our love. It's not just to obey the command, but it's because we love God the Father so then we have his perfect example that he set for us to wash one another's feet, to love each other. And the rest of the world watching on is going to see something different in us and want to know what that is. And then we're ready to share that with them. So we've, seen the, we've heard the command. We've seen it in Jesus. We then need to do it. We can't just let it sit there and do nothing with it. We have to do it. Demonstrate we love God first, we love Him most, and that touches every other aspect about who we are. And then they will know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the your commands you've given us out of the very character of who you are, and that's love. You've given us the perfect example in Jesus to help us stay on course. And to be able to do this right, to be able to do this well, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy when we don't do it well. But I pray that we strive every day to do it, even if we know that we fail at times, even if we know that we do our best and, and we mess up. 
I pray that every day we might do that a little bit better, a little bit uh, more like Jesus as we abide in him and we let his life flow in us and through us and his word dwell in us richly, that our brothers and sisters in Christ might see us and say, say this, this brother loves the Lord, this sister loves the Lord. We love one another and the world watching on might see that and say there's something different about this. I want the love that they have. They might find that in Jesus. So I pray as we go from here that your word dwells in us richly and it shapes and molds us and changes the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.